People of the living God, what a powerful thought message came through that song. I trust each one has a heart here for the people of God, the church of God. Where you die shall be my home. Where, where you die shall be my grave. You know, that, that song's based on a, uh, a story in the Old Testament. When Orpha returned back home, and her daughters-in-law followed her, and Yoma, um, one of them left. She was encouraged to go back home to give it up and to, to do what seemed reasonable and natural. But, but Yoma, she set her, her face toward her mother-in-law, to where she saw the goodness of God. And she, it was a determination. We, we need that determination in our life. Christianity is not um, just something we're going to try and see if it works. No, we're, we're dedicated to it. We're committed. We should be, as Neoma was, to the people of God. Because there is blessing. There's such a tremendous blessing in the, in the Lord. And so much that has already been brought out here this morning. So I count it a, a privilege to be here again with you all. And, uh, you know, there was that thought that young people need someone to look up to and to admire, to have a role model. A lot of children don't grow up with a father figure or someone to look up to. And I think in a real sense, maybe some of us adults, when we get older, we, we need people to look up to as well, to maybe fill in the gaps in, in our faith, to perfect that which is lacking in our faith. The Bible talks about that. So if you're not perfect, it doesn't mean you're on the road to hell. It doesn't mean you're lost. We perfect one another continually, I think, until, until we leave this earth. You know, Christ is the head of the church. We know that, the head of the body. I think in the preparations we go through to get ready for church on a Sunday morning, we wash up, we clean up, and I've thought before how much attention and focus we put on our, on our heads, getting them ready. You know, there's so much we got to do to that little thing on the top. Clean your ears, whatever it is. Clean your nose, brush your teeth, comb your hair. It's just, it takes up a lot of the time. But in the, to apply that to the, to the Lord, that's our focus. You know, that should be our focus. What, what's Jesus to us? You know, he's, he's kind of the prominent part of the church. And while we get together, I also thought how it is on Sunday mornings, at least in our household, getting ready for church is kind of a a, uh, a bustle. There's oftentimes you're you're kind of hurrying, at least with a family of children, and maybe if you're at home by yourself and you're in your later years, it's more of a sedate procedure. 
the hustle and bustle and just the hurry and, and the flurry. And I, I used to kind of chafe at that because, you know, we should be able to do things deliberately. But maybe within the hurry and the, and the excitement of getting to church, making sure you're not late, it's not all bad. You know, the, the Israelites, when they were delivered from Egypt, they were kind of in a hurry. They ate hastily. There was some urgency. And their deliverance was right around the corner. They were, in fact, in the midst of that deliverance. Um, yeah, let's keep the excitement. We want, to, we want to get to the house of the Lord, hopefully in a timely manner. But I think in a spiritual sense, there is an urgency in, in the spirit of the day in which we live. In the spirit of the Lord, there's an urgency in the air. And maybe you, you sense the need for um, having things right and having, being prepared. You know, as part of the, the thing with the unleavened bread, it, di- it didn't have time to rise. Um, they just went ahead and ate it without the, <laughs> the full part of that taking place. I think was some of the idea with unleavened bread, but we, um, we need to uh, let all of that be a part of our faith and, and how we um, press into the things of the God. I thought of the song, and I thought of what to title the message this morning, because I'm finding more and more as I go to preach, it's kind of a hodgepodge. And I was uh, talking to my wife about this, and I said, i got to preach in Mount Hermon. Um, and I don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to say yet. And often I think of things of life, especially as pastors and teachers, us that want to hear the voice of God, be able to, to say what the Lord is saying, we often build on what has been already said either the previous Sunday or through the week or things the Lord brings to our mind or even the very same day that we walk in the door. And I want to be open to what the Lord has for me to say. And I think when I told my wife, I'm not sure what I'm saying. I think I might have been saying that to the Lord as much as my wife. Because at some point, you do want to get some things in place. But I thought for a title this morning... Often use titles from the scripture. I figure that's safe enough, right? Use a Bible verse for a title. This one comes from a chorus, a song that says, Let faith now rise in your soul. It's a chorus. I don't think it's real familiar. But it says, Rise and be healed in the name of Jesus. Let faith now rise in your soul. As that bread rises, right? We grow in our faith. There's, There's something percolating there. We need to let it percolate and grow. Let it be what God wants us to be. It's a blessing to be a part of the people of God. You know, Israel's in a war. Things are happening over there. We're experiencing peace. We have sunshine. We have good things going. But in my spirit, when Israel's at war, when there's wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, and that kind of thing going on, It just makes you stop and think a little bit. I think it should. What are the events that God is bringing into the world? And Jesus said to to watch for these things, not not to to be fearful. You know, when Israel's at war, 
Are they a part of God's prophetic timeline for what he's doing in our day? And I don't, I don't want to say where all that starts and stops. But I feel a little bit like, and maybe this is an application. You know when, when David sinned with Bathsheba, and she became with child. He wanted to cover that up. He brought Uriah back from the war. And as part of that whole picture, as you would understand it to be, part of his idea was to get Uriah to go home, and then that would cover up the sin. In all of that, Uriah, his only problem with David was Uriah was a righteous man. Uriah had some scruples about what he, who he was as a man. He had some ethical, and he said, you know, David encouraged him to go home, take some meat, just relax, get away from the war, do that. Uriah said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. He stayed with the servants there at, at the house of David or wherever it was. He did not go home, and his reasoning was... You know, Judah and Israel are in, at war. They're in the, in the tents in the open country. The ark of God is out at war. I'm not going to go home and eat and drink and be with my wife. You, you understand where, what his thinking was. It, it just it didn't, it wasn't appropriate because of the times that they were in. How much can we apply to that thought? The times in which we are in, is it, is it a time to just be happy-go-lucky? Or does, is God calling us to, to maybe have some perception about uh, understanding where, what's going on in the world? And I'm thankful for the blessings of the Lord and that he has spared us much um, violence. You know, we all go through problems, but... Interestingly enough, you know, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Noah, if you go to chapter Genesis 6, chapter 6, in that passage, and I learned this uh, just this past week, it talks about the land was filled with violence. If you study the Hebrew, that word violence. Does anybody know what that is in Hebrew? The word violence is Hamas in Hebrew. Interesting. Violence filled the land. And so, why do we preach? You know, I feel kind of dumb preaching sometimes, just stand up here talking. Um, if it wasn't for the Word of God and the truth of God, I, I would have no motivation to be up here. I don't, I don't find it within my, really, my, my pursuit, my natural pursuit to preach and to talk and to speak, only to the extent that I know it might help somebody. And so that's what's so powerful about if we can have an influence in our life, something we can look up to. Don't let it stop there. Let that, uh, what that happened to you, 
freely you have received, freely give. And I know I've been inspired some, by some people that I've looked up to. And so I sense it's my calling to do what I can to, to make that happen for others. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The same is true for your life. As you're in the will of God and pursue the things of God, He will accomplish the thing He has sent, He has ordained for you to do. And so, the things of the world, the, those who have been speaking into our lives, um, it has an impact, and I think it's, it's good to let that conversation continue amongst ourselves as a church. You know, after church, we'll have conversations. I don't know that anyone here has predetermined what they're going to talk about after church. You know, conversation is, is kind of a free flow. And I say <clears throat> that needs to happen within our spirits regarding the things of God. And we build upon each, each other the things we see, the events that are happening. You know, there's a lot of good things we could say. But is it pertinent to what we need right now? And that, I feel a burden for that on, the, on what we as pastors and teachers are speaking to our people. It's not just that it's a good thing to say or that we have a good outline, but are we transmitting the thing that God wants us to say, that now word that we need for today? <clears throat> there was a, recently there was a, a picture going around that was being shared on uh, social media and it was an individual that had come outside their house and they were kind of bowed down looking like this. And the caption was, me outside seeing what chapter of Revelation is supposed to happen today. Seeing what we're doing today. You know, what see, I've heard that said about what season is it out there today? Um, what are we doing? Where are we at? Well, we read the Bible, we see the things that are happening, and then sometimes we say there's a correlation there. There's, there's things that are starting to correspond. Why didn't God just tell us exactly what is going to happen? Instead of all these prophecies, which seem to be veiled. Well, I have a verse for you in, in 1 Corinthians. I told my wife I was going to explain this to her, but I was going to wait till church to do it. Anyway, the way I see it, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I invite you to turn there. There's something about reading the Word of God, having it in front of you and reading it that I think makes it stand out a little more. Verse 5. It says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them, among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And verse 8 is, is really the crux of what I wanted to bring out here. 
It says, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Is it a chance that the prophecies we have in Scripture are veiled to some extent so that God's purpose and His plan can continue? You know, if man knows too much, he might thwart or get in the way of what the Lord is wanting to have happen in the world. Turn to Daniel chapter 8. For an example of, um, of what Scripture would, would be saying in the, uh, Daniel chapter 8. I'll just read a couple verses here, maybe um, 3 and 4. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. So you have a picture here, and I think it's speaking in parables when it talks of horns, when it talks of these animals, rams and so forth, there's a veiled meaning there. And it may have more than one event in history in mind. Some have said, well, this applied to Alexander the Great or some other things in history that have already happened. What's to say history cannot repeat itself? That the Word of God could pertain to more than just what has already happened. We're still in the... In time, we're still in the, in the present time. The Bible still is applicable. I want, to, I want to show that a little later. And Daniel says in verse 5, as I was considering, as I was considering this, you know, as if I already got enough here to digest and then some more comes along. Behold, and he came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. You know, I see some things in Scripture, touch not the ground. Could that possibly mean airplanes, aircraft, air force in the air, touch not the ground? And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And so you have the ram that seemed to take authority, seemed to be nothing there that could stop him. And yet... Something did stop him. Something came up. The goat, the he-goat, came to the ram, verse 6, which I had seen standing before the river and ran into him with the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler, I think that means anger, against him, and smote the ram and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. So some of this just seems like, you know, what, what you have when there are wars and empires and powers that be coming forth and, and, and in their designated times, I guess you could say. Notice verse 12. It says, And host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground. 
Are we not, I'm sure this was often throughout history, truth was suppressed. But how much even more now? We talk about a censorship, you know. Casting down truth to the ground. Don't let truth come to the surface. There's a lot of that going on. And the wrong seems, as it says here, it, it is practiced and it seems to prosper. Well, these are all part of an event. And in verse, 10, uh, verse 15, it says, It came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. We do that. Daniel wasn't somebody special. He, too, wondered at these things. And, and that's a certain amount of that goes into the process of life. I think of Peter when he was delivered from prison. He thought he was in a vision. He thought he was in some kind of trance. And, and the angel brought him out and set him in the road. And at that point, the angel left him. It said when Peter came to himself, he realized the Lord had delivered him. But then he said as he considered the matter... <laughs> As he considered what had happened there, he knew God might bring events into our life that makes us wonder. It's, it's a sign and a wonder, and we have to sit back and think a little bit. Now, now, what was that? What happened right there? There was a place for that. And as he considered the matter, he went to the, to the home of Mary and so on. But I was going to point out one, one more thing from this chapter of, of Daniel, and then we'll We'll move on to something maybe a little more interesting to you, but to me a lot of this is interesting. Verse 17. Understand, O son of man, I'm just breaking in the middle of this verse here. He says, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. In other words, what you're seeing is going to pertain to the time of the end. He repeats this in verse 19. He said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation for at that time appointed, the end shall be. So I'm not trying to figure out what these rams are and what these goats are. That somebody with higher knowledge, I think, is able to do that better than me. I just like to bring out some of that because to me, the Old Testament is very interesting. I think it has a place in our consideration for what the Lord is doing. You know, when I was um, a, a parent of, of younger children, in some way I'm glad those days are through where you're, the baby's just like this and you're holding it. And you know how babies are. They get into a thing, especially, it seems like this happens at night when everybody's tired. They're crying for no reason at all. You don't know what's wrong with them. Maybe there is a reason, but, you know, they can't talk. And they're just fussy. They won't stop crying. And, and I found out, uh, I've discovered that, and this was something I, I would do. I would take the child, take it out of the house, take it outside into a different environment. And often, just that change in environment would help the child calm down. Um, 
and they would settle down, and that was a good thing. Now, I thought, you know, maybe, our, uh, maybe that can uh, apply to us as, as uh, in our journeys, where we need a different perspective. As adults, we get kind of wound up sometimes too, anxious. I thought of Psalm chapter 8. Maybe we'll turn there. And as it relates to this, to a change of environment, so to speak. And often that change of environment for me, I, I enjoy going outside and, and beholding the heavens as it talks about here in, in Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. That's something we need to do at times on, on behalf of ourselves, is to still the enemy and the avenger, the thing that's coming against us. God says, I'm going to do this out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. What's he mean by that? I think it means from an unlikely source. Maybe from a source that we don't put a whole lot of stock in or, or overlook. That is where God says he has ordained the strength to come against the enemy. That enemy that stirs us up. Brings confusion Spirit of anxiety and fear, we're not called to that. And so just my, my personal uh, encouragement and my testimony is that I don't know if you're in a place where you live where you can see the night sky and just have time to do something like that. It's helpful for me because, as it says here in verse 3, when I consider the heavens and the works of the fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. We need that perspective to kind of reset ourselves, to reset our minds. I don't know if you, you get all in a stir and, and need that, but I find it's helpful for me because when we are looking at the stars and the expanse, the absolute eternity that's represented by the stars, because as I would understand, there are stars that are visible that are beyond the light years, the time it would take for that light to reach us that we can see with our naked eyes, goes back before the time of creation. So in a sense, when we are looking back, we are looking back in time when we see the stars and understand it to be that way. Not to mention that space is basically eternal. I don't know that there's an end in space. And God says it's the creation that speaks of his eternal attributes are seen in creation. Well, one example of that is, is just the um, boundless, the infinite um, space there is, and there's, there's just no end to it. So that perspective kind of helps when we see something big, it helps to, to calm down some of the trivial things of life. It helps us to think I don't like to call things trivial because they can burden us. And, and small things, it 
can spoil the mind and so on. So I'm just saying we need a larger perspective um, sometimes in life. People pursue a lot of different things because they don't want to face a reality. That kind of came up a little bit in our Sunday school discussion where we have people that don't want to face reality, and, and with that, so we, you know, let's, let's drink a little alcohol. Let's numb the effect of reality. Whereas the true answer is to be filled with the Spirit, not be drunk with wine, not be afraid of the reality, but be filled with the Spirit. It's the Spirit that helps us face reality. The answer is not in pursuing something that helps deaden where we are. I used to pursue nostalgia. I think a lot of people do. You think about the popularity of antiques. And the thought is, well, this is, this is something old, so it's okay. You know, I, I, well, you know, anything worldly is, is anything that can become an, an idol to us, I guess is what I'm saying. But I think people pursue nostalgia. They pursue those things because they don't like where the world is at right now. And so they think, let's recreate what I used to know. Let's put a Band-Aid on the present state of the world by pursuing nostalgia. I'm just saying, I don't think that's the answer. There might be some a benefit that comes from... I mean, if you would see the, the vehicles I drive, you would understand what I'm saying. I drive some old stuff, and it's, it's not necessary because I like old stuff. But um, the Lord leads us in those directions. But I think the things we pursue, even legitimate things, <clears throat> can have a detriment, can be a detriment to us if it's taking the place of the Lord Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. See, if you pick a general title, it doesn't really matter what you say. It's all about faith, right? Let faith rise in your soul. Verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. It is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment, <clears throat> and so on. Take no thought. I've been thinking recently of, of some of the words of Jesus and how that they are hard to comprehend at times. They are, a lot of things that Jesus said, it's like, really? You know, CLP came out with a catalog recently, and one of the books in there, advertised in their catalog, uh, the title of the book was, Jesus Really Said That? By Gary Miller. I don't read the book, I don't know what he, what he brought up in there, but... I've thought the same things myself. Jesus said some things that seemed almost far out, preposterous. An example of this is, ask anything in my name, 
He will do it. <laughs> he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Can we step into that in our faith? Did Jesus really say that? And if you're thinking about things that Jesus said, think of Luke 22, verse 36. I'm not going to turn to it. Jesus, in that verse, told his disciples, he asked them, do you have any swords? And he said, if you need a sword, go sell something and get a sword. So what's he saying, Brother Ramos? He said, go buy a sword. That's just a... I'm not going to pick that up. I'm just giving, giving you that. It's as far as the things of Jesus, the things he said, impossible stuff, or, or maybe we don't really have the full understanding of it. Um, These signs shall follow those that believe. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. They shall drink any deadly thing that will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So some of those you could, you could maybe morph it into a, a spiritual application. Yeah, we cast out demons. We take territory in the name of Jesus. It may not necessarily be casting a demon out of a person. It could include that, or it just may mean taking territory in a spiritual sense. Speaking with new tongues. Well, what was that? You could say a spirit-filled person may have a new language. It would certainly, I think it would, it would affect their language and the things they say. They could take up serpents. Some people say we need to observe this literally. Jesus said they can take up servants. Let's take up serpents. But, you know, in the reality of that, you may take up a serpent, but I don't think you're going to do it voluntarily. It may happen involuntarily like the Apostle Paul had happened to him, where a snake came and wrapped itself around his arm. and He didn't suffer from that. They shall drink any deadly thing and shall not hurt them. That might come a little closer home. We may take in things, eat, drink the thing. We don't always know what's in them. I know of one fellow that had this concern because uh, he, w he didn't want to eat anything that was, wasn't meat that was processed from his own farm. He, his, his answer was, well, you know, you don't know what's in that meat. But Jesus says, don't spend a lot of time worrying about that. I think when we're right with God, he protects us, he shields us from a lot of those dangers, even though we walk through that danger. We might even take in something. I'm just saying, let faith answer the worry, the struggle, to, to always have it figured out in your life. Take no thought for what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, wherewithal shall ye be clothed. These are very basic things. And isn't it that we're supposed to be content having food and raiment? We're supposed to be content. And so we, our logic is, well, at least we can pursue 
food and raiment because the Apostle Paul said if we don't have those, you know, the, the reverse of that is that maybe we can be discontent until at least we have food and raiment. So let's pursue those things. Jesus is saying take no thought for those, those things. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. In fact, he says, take no thought for your life. What is the application of this? What is the interpretation of how to apply these things? You think of what the Gentiles seek. What, what are the big sellers when you go into town? It's restaurants. And if you go into a thrift store, you'll see that it's clothing. That's their main item. Food, clothing. Jesus said, don't take thought for tomorrow. To me, this is really cool. You mean we don't have to worry about tomorrow? We get to, it doesn't mean we get to be lazy. I don't think it means that. I think we exercise diligence in the, in the matters pertaining to life. And the things that Jesus said, is, it, is he saying something way over the top just to get our attention? Or is there some actual, some definite truth to what he is saying that, that stands on its own feet without putting it in the category of exaggeration? You know, we have the things we like to say too, and we say it's true that you can't outgive God. Have you ever heard that? You can't outgive God. And so we say, well, that, that's probably true. We believe that. But you know, how many people have tried? Not a whole lot of people have really tried, I don't think. <clears throat> so my challenge and my encouragement today is to let, let's step into the reality of what Jesus teaches, the things he says, even though. It doesn't fully make sense in the natural. There's that story of the priests carrying the ark of God ready to cross over the river Jordan. And it talks about in that story that the Lord commanded them to do that. But it wasn't until their feet stepped in the water that those waters dispersed. They had to take a step of faith and actually step into that water, into the thing that, wanted, that, they, that they needed to be removed. I think there's a word in that for us. We may be called to do something that doesn't make sense. Now, I don't think it means to throw away our, our God-given rationale or our ability to reason. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, it talks about how that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. In other words, we put some thought into what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. 
Let faith now rise in your soul. Let faith come to the surface and begin to, by the hearing of the word of God, it is through the word of God that we build our faith as we read it, as we study it. Maybe not to to receive a specific answer. But as we take it in, as we meditate, it renews our mind to the things of God. It teaches us about who God is. The Word of God, I've said this about schooling and academics. It's not so much to teach us what to think, it, it teaches us how to think. It exercises our minds to the things of God. 1 Thessalonians 3.10. I mentioned this earlier. Verse 10 says, Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and that we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I think we do that as a brotherhood. That's our calling, our, our vision. To perfect that which is lacking. That means we aren't already perfected, but we, we strive for that in the name of Jesus. So I trust you can go forth with faith, courage. Doesn't mean there won't be problems. But like Ruth... She pursued to the end, the people of the living God. Ask our song leader to lead us in a song.